Hello and welcome to Backchat, your podcast all about scoliosis, yoga and back care. My name is Christine Jaregiberry. I'm a yoga teacher, creator of the Yogaberry Yoga for Scoliosis community and YouTube channel. And this show is all about supporting you on your scoliosis journey. So if you're looking for practical advice and inspiration on how to manage the condition with yoga and movement, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Backchat. Welcome to Yoga Berry, your yoga for scoliosis community. My name is Christine Jaregi Berry. I'm a yoga teacher and I specialize in yoga for scoliosis. This is a live stream, so it's happening every um, Wednesday for us in the UK. It's afternoon, it's 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, and you are welcome to join us if you're watching this afterwards. Um, then you're welcome to join us one week, maybe, and join the, the chat and ask all of your questions. So I can see lots of people coming in now and saying hello. So, hi, everyone. I think. Um, it is um, happening now. So let me bring on the lovely Jen. There she is. <laughs> Hi, Christine. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for joining me. So we've got Jen Gorman here. She is a lovely, fantastic um, movement educator. She's a Pilates teacher. She's a yoga teacher and she teaches strength training as well. So we can get her perspective on exercises um, that are good for scoliosis. And Jen has got a spinal fusion as well. So um, she can give us some tips there. Maybe I know some of you guys are yoga teachers. So that might be really, really interesting if you don't have a fusion yourself, but you are maybe working with people that have got um, spinal fusion. I think it's really, really important to educate ourselves and um, make sure that we can obviously support our students as well. Good. So welcome, Jen. Um, thank you so much for sticking with me here and my technical issues. <laughs> thank you for having me today. Good. So why don't we start? And yes, I'm going to say hello. So we've got um, Vashikaran is saying, say, say hello, please. So I'm saying hello. Hi. <laughs> we've got Jai here. We've got CL saying hello. Um, fantastic. So I'm glad that apparently the chat is working, which is fantastic. So Jen, why don't we dive straight in? Um, I would love to hear um, your kind of your story and your, um, I read a little bit on your website. Obviously, I, I I know that you were a dancer, um, but yeah, I would love to hear your story with scoliosis and what kind of brought you here. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with scoliosis when I was 11. My ballet teacher saw it in class and it was a pretty short time between it being first noticed and the time that I had my fusion. It was under a year. So I had fusion surgery the next summer when I was 12. And I have a selective thoracic fusion. So that's T3 to T10. Um, you know, I have a it's mostly it's all in my thoracic. And then I have mm -hmm. an unfused lumbar curve. So at the time, the doctor was thinking that the thoracic was the main curve and that he would correct the thoracic and the lumbar would kind of fall into place. And of course, you know, it's hard to know if 
by today's standards, this was a successful fusion, but I think I've done really well. Um, my lumbar curve is pretty much unchanged from the time before surgery. And, you know, what's kind of interesting to me when I hear other people's stories that had surgery after the time that I did is there's been a lot of change in bedside manner and just how doctors are explaining things. Um, you know, sometimes people are getting physical therapy, sometimes they're not. I did not. Um, I didn't actually even know I was having a bone graft. So I have a bone graft that's a separate incision from my right iliac crest. And the doctor used Harrington rod, a Harrington rod. So that right. is the older type of fusion. Um, and I do have a flattened thoracic. So not as much um, of the natural curve going towards the back of the body, the kyphosis. Mm -hmm. And pretty much I was told like, okay, you can go do whatever you want. So I did. Um, you know, it's hard to know if that was the right advice, but I'm glad that I didn't have limitations other than I was told no gymnastics. So I danced um, hard in high school. And then I went to college and studied accounting and I sat for extended periods of time. I became a CPA and realized that I didn't enjoy sitting, but I did enjoy moving. So I went back to dancing and then kind of combined the, the two. And then um, I was doing showboat at the Kennedy Center and I was having some issues with my rib cage. And that sent me on this path of learning about my scoliosis and my spinal fusion. I was living in New York at the time. So I started that process at Samam Kaya and I studied with Deborah Wolk and I studied with Mimi Rossetti. And um, since then, became a personal trainer, and then most recently a Pilates teacher. Wow, amazing. Thank you so much. And yes, for those of you who don't know, we had uh, Deborah Walk on, on here um, a few weeks ago. So make sure you do um, check this out. I've, I've actually just, I'm just catching up on her recent training that she did um, on the organ system and the, the nervous system. So that is, that is really, really exciting. So you are part of this kind of, tell us a little bit about your um, about the the setup that you have. I understand there's a few of you there that are kind of working together. Yeah, so Samam Kaya is a yoga studio in New York and it is formed as a workers co-op. So we're all owners and teachers. And then we have some people that also serve on the administrative management side of things. Mm -hmm. And all of the classes are either back care classes scoliosis classes or spinal fusions classes. Um, and most of us, or many of us, especially those of us who are teaching scoliosis and or spinal fusions have also studied with Elise, of course. Yes. Um, and we have Elise come to New York. And so, as well as many other um, Yangar teachers and non-Yangar teachers, it's an Yangar based studio. So there's a rope wall and there's lots of props. Um, right. But yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yes, uh, Elise kind of seems to be the, the mother of this whole kind of branch of. <laughs> yeah. The, the godmother. The godmother. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good. Um, so let's let's kind of dig a little bit deeper in the um, kind of exercise movement part. W what is what would you say? Are there things that and you know I, I I like to separate this a little bit with uh, fusion and non-fusion obviously because I do think it's it's very very different. Mm -hmm. um, 
so maybe let's start with the non-fusion if you don't mm -hmm. mind and then we'll go back to the to the fusion part as well so like in your opinion is there any other is there any exercise if somebody says to you i've got an s-curve scoliosis um what exercises do you recommend for me <laughs> well i think it depends upon the person and i think that some of these apply to both people with fusions and people who have scoliosis in that I think it's just so important to choose exercise that feels like a gift and not a chore. So I might start by asking that person, well, what do you love to do? And how do you love to do that? Do you like to do it with other people? Do you like to do it in a class by yourself? Where do you like to do it? Do you like to do it in nature or do you like to go to a studio or do you like to be at home? Um, so I think that is probably where I would start with is what does that person love to do? Um, and then there's a lot of other factors that go into choosing a movement practice because sometimes we also have these ideas about what exercise is. Mm -hmm. So that may also be important to investigate. Um, we might be socialized to think about exercise in a certain way as how we were how we were raised but then also of course with media we probably have some other ideas about what exercise means including like oh i have to exercise for at least 30 minutes or it doesn't count right or maybe i have to like breathe really hard and be sweaty or it doesn't count mm -hmm. So well, I have I, to be achy, otherwise, otherwise it doesn't count. Right? Yeah, exactly. Or I have to be sore, which, you yeah. know, I, at this point, like, I don't love to get really sore. <laughs> it doesn't feel good to me. No. I don't like having that inflammation in my system. It's okay if I feel my muscles the next day, but I don't want to be sore. Mm -hmm. um, so exactly all of those things. So I think it's important too, that people look at, okay, well, what do I think exercise means? Because exercise or a movement practice may also just be you know, if you've got 10 minutes, do 10 minutes, because that's going to be better than doing nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's important to look at what people love to do. And then also if there are any ideas about what they think they should be doing. Does that right. make sense? T yeah, tell us, a, tell us a little bit more about this. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, for example, I come from a family of movers, mm -hmm. which is really a gift, I believe. But for some people, if they were disciplined, maybe they were forced to go for a run. So exercise became a punishment. Okay. So I think that, you know, it's important to recognize that. And then to also recognize that doesn't necessarily mean that's how you should exercise. It shouldn't be a punishment. It should be a mm. gift to yourself. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. so that's where I like to start with people is mm. what do they love to do? How do they love to do it? Where do they love to do it? Who do they love to do it with? I just want people to experience joy and love when they move. Mm. And you're much more... Um you're much you're going to be much more motivated right to to actually do that exercise movement whatever it might be um if you're if you are enjoying it right 
Absolutely. And I mean, there's research that supports. So there's a book called No Sweat by Michelle Seeger. Mm-hmm. And there, the research says that people who exercise for the immediate gratification, I'll feel better, I'll sleep better, I won't be as stressed. Um, the immediate gratification, they exercise more than people who exercise for weight loss or a long-term health benefit, which is really yeah. interesting you know, and as I kind of reviewed this information, I thought, huh, that is so interesting, especially considering that most of what I do is very specific for people with scoliosis mm-hmm. or for people with spinal fusions. And I too um, divide those categories just because sometimes when they're combined, people with spinal fusions don't always feel like everything applies to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I think, um, <laughs> this is I was uh, in a in a yoga class the other day and the, and the teacher threw in some physio exercises and somebody said oh this is so boring this is why nobody does those physio <laughs> exercises right <laughs> because they're so boring uh, and it, it's a good point and it doesn't mean it's boring to everyone obviously but for that right. specific person um, that was clearly not what was motivating her. And she had problems with her shoulder and she had been given a whole program of things to do, but she wasn't doing it. Because, right. You know, she just. And so maybe for that person, the motivation to do those things isn't necessarily to like fix her shoulder, but because tomorrow she wants to be able to pick up her child or her grandchild. Mm -hmm. Like that's an immediate gratification. Like, Oh, I can like pick up and hug my child. So there are also tricky ways to frame things that might be quite good and, and helpful for us, but maybe isn't what we would choose. Um, just kind of sometimes it's flipping a paradigm as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, and especially I think sometimes mm, if we've had a bad experience with movement or exercise, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know something might have happened or that that there might have been an injury or or something like that, then it's it's really changing that mindset, right, and kind of reframing. Um, how we kind of approach this whole thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Or it could be a bad experience with a teacher. Yes. Or with so, a teacher. you know, I know, for example, like I'm not the right teacher for everyone, mm. um, but I want people to find the right teacher for them mm. uh, because yes, all those bad experiences, you know, someone might have a bad experience in a yoga class and then all of a sudden they hate yoga. <laughs> But yes. maybe if they found the right person or they did it at home instead of in a class, maybe they do like yoga. Yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of thinking of it as an adventure of of discovering what fills your cup full of joy and love yes. and what feels like a gift to give yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, you you obviously what I find interesting is that you you obviously you have different kind of type of movement qualifications and um do you kind of pick and choose these for people with uh scoliosis or do you keep them quite separate do you you know do you say now now we're doing yoga um now we're doing pilates and now we're doing strength training or do you kind of mix it all up so i think 
that the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I do teach um, yoga classes. And of course, my yoga classes are informed by my Pilates and mm -hmm. my strength training. Um, the yoga classes that I teach are more a yingar based with lots of props. And I do teach Pilates classes and my Pilates classes are infused with some yoga and also some strength training. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a lot of overlap. And so to me, when I see something like a half forward fold, pressing the arms against the wall, which could be yoga, um, or even a downward dog, because it's the same position. If you flip yeah. it a little bit or yeah. legs up the wall, V Prita Karani, that's not much different than say a deadlift pattern in strength training, except there mm -hmm. it's loaded. But there are some sorts of movement patterns that really cross over. And so I tend to find the similarities. And sometimes I'll bring that up in a yoga pattern, like, hey, in a yoga class, this isn't this isn't too much different for people who do strength training. Like this is the same movement pattern as a deadlift. Mm -hmm. um, so I keep them separated, but they're definitely blended. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. Um, Yes, and I, I just what I what I was thinking while you were talking was also that um again with the, those different kind of um practices like Pilates, like yoga, from one teacher to the next, they might look completely different anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. unless you are obviously a, a kind of going to a, a very kind of um yeah, I don't know how to say it. But like, if you're going to Ashtanga yoga, you kind of know what you get because they always do the same sequence. Exactly. Or, for example, a classical Pilates class would be very right. similar because it's going to be sequenced. It's going to be the same things. So exactly. Um, there are certain types of movement where you know more or less what you're going to experience. Yeah. So would you say that... Um, there are types of exercises and I mean like kind of um, more like movement practices rather than specific exercises that are better for people that have scoliosis than others. I think that definitely focusing on things that stabilize the spine can be helpful. Um, that's not to say that, you know, during our everyday life, we're going to do things where we twist or we, you know, experience all sorts of different movement patterns. But I think when we're choosing movement, we might think about which movements stabilize the spine and which movements don't. <clears throat> but, you know, there's going to be some people who, who want to um, dance or play golf or do tennis. And so in those situations, I think if they can use the motivation of like, I really want to do my sport to then after they do their sport to come back into neutral and just to do some stabilization in neutral, you know, expanding concavities, um, doing some breathing, bringing everything back to the center, reorganizing the brain. I think that that can be very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. So basically choose what you do as a kind of a balance to what else you're doing as well. 
Yeah, I think so. And that's actually how I came to yoga was that I was dancing and Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about my scoliosis. I didn't know anything about my spinal fusion. And for a long time in my yoga practice, I didn't either, but I knew that I could go at my own pace and my pace was much slower than everyone else. Um, It was a place for me where you know, when you're taking a dance class, you don't get a lot of choices always if you're in a classical class. So in the type of yoga classes I was taking, there were loads of choices and I made the best choices for myself. Right. Um, but that is exactly like I was trying to find something that was a little bit more balanced and bringing me into a center. Yes. Um, yeah. To offset all of the dancing. All of it. Yes, exactly. So if you if you love, if you're good at, uh, you know, if you don't have a uh, fusion, obviously, if you're good at gymnastics and you do a lot of kind of flexibility yeah. work, maybe then do something that would complement this rather than doing something super stretchy. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly that kind of just does the the same thing because you probably Mm -hmm. you have all the mobility you have all the flexibility so maybe um choosing to kind of strengthen up a little bit more isn't it Mm -hmm. good so when you talked so you said about um stabilizing the spine is really important what exactly do you mean by that (laughs) um so what i mean by that is trying to strengthen the areas around the spine. I do think that it's been very valuable to me to understand my scoliosis Mm because my belief with the spinal fusion and my experience with the spinal fusion is that the fusion brings the spine into alignment, but the neuromuscular patterning doesn't change. So the rib cage may still rotate. Um, There's still a pattern that exists. Um, And that for me is true both in the area of my fusion and also below the Mm -hmm. fusion with the lumbar curve. So when I say stabilize the spine, um, the simple way for me to think about it is lengthening and broadening and moving from that place and maybe not going into extreme ranges of motion with the spine into flexion, which is rounding forward or back bending extension or um, rotating, um, keeping the abdominals and the back and the glutes really strong is helpful. Mm-hmm. And then if you're really getting into the scoliosis, I find that lengthening the concave side and then working that concave side in a lengthened position is very valuable. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of call it the forgotten part of the body, isn't it? It's absolutely. Area which uh, we don't really feel, is it? It's mm-hmm. it, it seems like it's it's not quite there. Okay, let yeah. me just acknowledge the the chat here um flutube is saying great session hello thank you for tuning in for watching stephanie saying greetings i have severe scoliosis i'm going to bring this up here uh stenosis arthritis disherniation spurs etc so that's an interesting one as well right isn't it because usually scoliosis doesn't come just in one thing it's usually comes as a um, package and then she's mm-hmm. saying I have been active my whole life currently walk water walk 
yoga, lift with caution. What should I avoid? So what I think when, you know, one thing that's not mentioned is we do have to consider that our movement practices change as we age because we experience degeneration. And, you know, for example, Julie Wilkins is a wonderful person who's like, that's something good that we should embrace. And I try to think of it as, okay, so maybe I don't do this anymore, but look at all these other things I can do. It allows me more time to do other things. Um, and I really do believe that starting with the breath when there's, you know, scoliosis and other factors allows us to stay mindful so that we walk that careful line of not being fearful and also not pushing ourselves. Because mm -hmm. that is a very thin gray line that is hard to navigate. Um, so with those things, with walking, with the water, with yoga, with lifting, I mean, I would say that that's a pretty great list of things. Um, what would you say, Christine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it sounds um, it sounds like a good combination. It sounds like a like a good package. But I'm wondering if she was she is asking. So she also uh, says she's giving us some more information here. So she says she's fifth. Uh, so fifty seven degree right. Um, S curve. So she's got quite a significant right. scoliosis, obviously. And she's 66. So to your, mm -hmm. your point, it kind of depends on what stage we are in our um in our lives. Former athlete. Mm -hmm. I mean, the other thing that I would say is I I have found it very valuable to get really curious about my body the scoliosis, the curve, the fusion. So that would be my other question. Like, have you gotten curious about that scoliosis? How much do you understand about the rotation, the concavity or the area of collapse, the convexity or the area of prominence? Um, because that might also be really valuable. And perhaps that knowledge, which you know, like I mentioned, I learned that first through yoga. I've also taken different Shroff classes, which have complemented that. That knowledge, it's a lifelong process, mm -hmm. first of all, as you know. <laughs> um, but that can then be applied to lots of different movements. Standing, yes. sitting, you know, um, lifting, yoga. Yeah. So that would be the other question is you know, has there been like some deep curiosity and some deep diving into the mm. curve pattern? Yes, that's that's a great point as well, because, um, uh, you know, people always ask, is there anything that we should not do? Like basically um, anyone with scoliosis should not be doing, you know, whatever it might be, whatever it might be, a, a, a wheel pose or something like that, mm -hmm. right? And um my answer to this is always well first of all who am i to tell you know you know you know yourself better at the end of the day you know your right. your body better 
Um, and I have seen people that can do pretty amazing things mm -hmm. with their bodies. And there's some amazing athletes with uh, scoliosis. Um, you know, there's some amazing, you know, if you follow Mary Powell on, on Instagram, she's an amazing yogi. She, if I tell her not to do wheel pulls, she'll be like, what? Right. Of course I'm doing it. But she knows her body, right? Mm -hmm. She knows it and she, she's got this awareness. She knows how her scoliosis works. She can derotate um, and she can, she can create that space in the concavities, even if she is in a yoga pose. And um, so, yeah, so, so this would be kind of my answer to that. Sorry, I kind of given it away. I wanted you to say something. <laughs> no, well, I also think like what you're saying is that that level of awareness takes a very long time to yes. develop. Mm -hmm. and we don't always know where we are in space. So I have yeah. found it extremely valuable to have a teacher, not every time I practice or do Pilates, but a teacher that can keep an eye on me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I take Deborah Wolk's um, intermediate yoga class once a week. And then I also take a Pilates plus Shroth class with Hagit Berdashevsky once a week. Mm -hmm. So that would be the other thing. I think it is difficult for us all to know where we are in space. Yeah. And so sometimes it is helpful to have a trained eye. Not everyone is trained to see the patterning, to see the rotation, to see the pelvic shift, to see what's going on in the feet. So that's something else to think about is... Um, trying to see if there's someone that can work that can just you know watch every once in a while yeah and also like yeah. use a mirror watch yourself yeah watch yourself and yes and we um we do fall into our patterns obviously mm -hmm. and with scoliosis we have got this this uh, rotational pattern that we like to be in right it's mm -hmm. the most comfortable really mm -hmm. <laughs> and as you say, you know, it can be really helpful to have someone else look at you in different movements, right? Not just standing there. And, you know, right. I sometimes I'm kind of guilty of that because I sometimes post on Instagram and I've, I will post on Instagram <laughs> soon with another picture where we're just looking at the standing posture. But how often are we in a stand, just standing still? We're not. We're designed to move, right? And dynamic, move. right. And we, we then move into our scoliosis pattern as well. Mm -hmm. So, and it can be really, really difficult to, to notice this yourself. Right. And also another idea too, is if you're concerned about something, a movement that brings you more into pattern than not, a great idea is just to kind of, you know, do a video. You can start videoing yourself, just like maybe even standing, and then do some movements and then come back to standing. And, and you I, you can usually see if you're more in your pattern or not, mm -hmm. I think, um, maybe with some training. But that is another thing that sometimes I'll do is I might just kind of see how I'm looking before my movement practice, do a movement practice, kind of check in to see how I'm looking, but also feeling. Um, yeah. Because I always want to feel taller and whiter when I'm done and a little lighter. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Pick up more space. So I'm just looking at the chat because there's lots of questions coming in now. Um, so said or saying, let's have a question, but just an observation. Great session today. How good is the sitting toe touch stretch? Um, but both hands grabbing the right foot to lengthen the left side. It feels fantastic. Do you know what um, he means? I'm wondering if it's Janushi uh, Sasana. I think so. Um, yeah, so I think with something like that, it it's going to depend on how much of that is coming from the, the hip crease, mm -hmm. a hip hinge action, or how much of that is coming from rounding the spine. Cause you know, when we round the spine, we do come into a position that has a lot of rotation, the maximum mm -hmm. amount of rotation. So yeah. it puts us into pattern. Um, so that's the other thing that's really tricky is that one pose or one stretch or one exercise done one way um, with a certain technique might be different than if it was done a different way. So I think that lengthening the hamstrings is really important for people with scoliosis and spinal fusions and just general back care concerns. Um, sometimes sitting is the most difficult position to do that in. Mm -hmm. So I often tend to have people go onto their backs and do a supta pada gustasana, just, you know, holding the strap in their foot. Or sometimes also we haven't even brought up sometimes um, that tightness in the back of the leg and the low back, it might actually be more of a neural tension than a muscular tension. Yeah. And so sometimes stretching might not be the right choice. So I'm yeah. not answering the question here. That, that's that's <laughs> what I was thinking of is, is sometimes the stretching feels good temporarily, um, but it might not be kind of the, the best kind of long-term strategy. Um, right. I don't yeah. know if you would agree with this. No, absolutely. I think um, sometimes stabilizing and strengthening is just as important Mm -hmm. if not more important. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to lengthen muscles as we work them. Yeah. Uh, which is different than just a static stretch. Mm -hmm. And it's important, like in this, you know, kind of setup that we're talking about, it's important to know, okay, well, am I stretching my back or am I stretching the, the hamstring? Yes. Yeah. Generally, I, I say that with stretching the back, I like to find um, those poses more in a neutral on along both sides. So like mm -hmm. a half forward fold or a downward facing dog. Um, it sounded like that was a little bit, there was some additional asymmetry. It was hard to quite imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so Gail is, is saying, hi, Gail, um, osteopenia scoliosis yoga teacher here, trying to do things intelligently. What are your thoughts on walking with weights in a backpack? That's a great question. 
I'm not sure that I have the answer to it. Um, because I do know that a little bit of weight in a backpack for people with osteopenia is sometimes recommended. I also know that my experience is I don't like to have weight. It's just, I don't like to be weighted down for my shoulders. Um, mm -hmm. I've lived in major cities, New York and Chicago, and I've walked around extensively with heavy backpacks. It usually doesn't feel great on my spine. So I think that's a really tricky question. Um, and I would not say it's a yay or a nay. Hmm. <laughs> it's a depends. <laughs> I think it's a depends. Um, I guess the question is, are there other things that could be done with the weights that might be more useful? Yeah. That would be my initial question. Mm. And why why are you, you know, what is your purpose? What are, what are you trying to to do? I guess um yeah, why do you think that is um Yeah, again, I would this would be kind of the last thing I would do for me personally right. because I don't need <laughs> more weight on my shoulders. <laughs> yeah. And for me, what happens is my thoracic concavity gets really compressed, even though I'm fused mm -hmm. in my thoracic. Um, so for me, that's not a good choice. It also messes with my neck, yeah, um, my shoulders. <laughs> but I do think that the weight and the impact with osteopenia can, you know, there's research that supports it. Yeah. I'm not an expert on osteoporosis, um, but I am on my way to some deep research on it. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, we, we did have a, an interview. I hope you found that in the end uh, with with um, Dr. Lani um, about osteoporosis. Did you find it in the end? I have not listened to it yet, but you haven't. OK, yeah. yeah, yeah, she's 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 amazing. So uh, you will you will enjoy that one. Great. Thank you. Good. So um anamika this is anamika 40 years old homemaker around 80 degrees lumbar curve l1 two three are naturally fused and leading to a bit of thoracic kyphosis can you suggest the best yoga poses excellent question <laughs> over yeah. to you jen <laughs> yeah so with a lumbar curve that's used. And I wonder if it's a thoracal, not that it matters. Okay. So, um, I think first for yoga, some chest opening with kyphosis can be very helpful, but then it's not just the chest opening. It's also the lengthening of the neck because oftentimes with kyphosis, there's the forward head position and then also the strengthening of the back muscles. Mm -hmm. um, so those three things, the opening of the chest, the lengthening and the strengthening of those deep cervical ne neck flexors, and then the strengthening of the back um, can be helpful for the kyphosis. And there's lots of different ways in yoga to do those things. Um, and it depends upon your practice. So um, the chest opening oftentimes 
you know, I use very small padding, padding um, support under my spine for Supta Baddha Konasana, but that's a really nice chest opener. Um, I don't like to go too high with it for people, um, especially if they're sitting on the ground and the rest of their torso is elevated. And then, you know, being aware of the head position in all of the poses is really important. That's just part of the mindfulness of yoga. Um, also, if you have ropes, sometimes ropes one and two is really nice to open the chest. And then strengthening things like being on your hands and knees and lifting opposite arm and leg, depending again upon your practice, maybe just like a little tiny um, cobra, not a big back bend, but just a little tiny. If you can still keep the, if there is a thoracic uh, scoliosis curve, if you can do that while keeping the concavity expanded, um, but then also strengthening. And then also for the lumbar curve, I think stabilizing the, and lengthening and strengthening that um, lumbar curve and even walk, working on if there's a pelvic shift, keeping the pelvis really centered. Um, and when you do things like tree pose, making sure that the pelvic shift doesn't increase and add in a rotation of the pelvis. Mm -hmm. um, I do like, I do sideline now on Astasana a little bit differently. I add a little bit of hip abduction because I have yeah. found that for me, for my lumbar curve, that has been very valuable when the curve side is down and the concavity is working on top eccentrically against yeah. gravity. Same here. Against resistance, if possible. Yeah. <laughs> so I have my kids pushing down, but they are yep. usually not. Uh, <laughs> they're not, not too excited. <laughs> no, they just get bored very quickly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, yeah, I do have, there are lots more questions here, but before I bring those up, um, I wanted to ask you, because, you know, you, you're a little bit like me, where you, you sound like you're very curious, and you're um, uh, exploring different opinions, and mm -hmm. different um, kind of approaches to, to scoliosis, and to, to spinal fusion, obviously, as well. So I'm wondering if you kind of come across sometimes uh, conflicting information <laughs> from maybe people that, um, you know, that, that you learn with, that you study with, and how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so I generally am able to find the similarities in approaches. But there are times when there are differences. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I actually even heard you talking about one of those differences um, in seated poses, uh, propping up, you know, sitting on something underneath the pelvis might be a, right. a difference in yeah. approaches. Um, and what I choose to do for myself and also in my teaching is I take a conservative approach. Okay. Um, I like to take the do no harm approach. Uh, so I tend to do the most conservative thing. And I also uh, will share with people differences in opinions. Mm. So I may teach the conservative approach, but I'll also talk about 
Well, some people say this and some people say this, and this is my understanding of those differences. So this might be something that you have to experience and think about and decide for yourself. I'll also yeah. send videos of why people are saying certain things so that mm -hmm. they can hear it from an original source as well. Mm -hmm. So that's the approach that I take. Um, I do tend to, in my own teaching and in my own practice, because it's what feels right and what feels good is to teach a little bit more conservative. Hmm. If that makes sense. Conservative. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It depends. So one one of the things that I was thinking of is the yes the 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 propping up, um, and the other one is the the padding of the convexities or the concavities. There seems yeah. to be some <laughs> difference of opinions in there. Yeah, and I can share with you, if you're interested, I can share with you how I conceptualize that difference in padding. Would you like to hear that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I conceptualize it as, you know, some people, specifically people who are trained in Schroth, tend to pad the convexity and that is because they're trying to push that convexity forward and it's very active so they're asking people to actively open up the concavity in the other direction mm -hmm. um, also there's not padding of instabilities meaning areas that are extra mobile or maybe where there's some listesis. Mm -hmm. um, so I think of that type of padding when it's a really active pose or not pose, but active position, you're breathing, you're like opening up that concavity. And then the padding under the concavity, I think of as a more allowing a restful, allowing things to fall into that um, also more restful and also as a source of touch, because like you were saying earlier, yeah. that area is something that we don't oftentimes feel. We don't have a lot of sensory things happening in that area. So sometimes that can be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I do agree. It's confusing a little bit. Um, I have done both. <laughs> 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 um, yes yeah and, and I think it's important if you do it then know why you're doing it mm -hmm. and and have a you know what is your in intention and if if you're just doing it because oh my teacher told me to then that's probably not the best reason <laughs> yeah I think that's great and also I do you know, when people choose to pad a concavity, especially when they're laying on their backs, I say go with less padding than more padding. Uh -huh. um, that's my approach. You know, there have been times, you know, I've mentioned I have those ribs on the concave side that really, they just, um, they've been sprained and they move together and they can get really not happy and go up my neck. So there have been times that I've had to sleep with a very small washcloth under that area. Mm. And also that was um, a Schroth therapist who suggested I try that, mm. even though it was the concave side. 
So <laughs> I think yes. it's confusing. And, and I, I, I do think it's different with with a f uh, fusion, actually. Absolutely. I mm -hmm. think um, um, I would definitely approach that differently as well. Um, right. So I'm just trying to pick out. There's lots of thank yous coming in. And obviously, people really enjoying this. Um, Okay, so Gail is saying I put the weight low in the backpack, not on the shoulders. Okay, <laughs> that was just to clarify what she was doing with the backpack. And Catherine is saying I have scoliosis and I use yoga to help me. I'm going to need surgery though um, because she's around 50 degrees. Have you got any any um, advice maybe for Catherine if she's so... thinking about this? Yeah, I think, you know, generally what I tell people, you know, people ask all the time, should I do it? Should I, it's such a personal decision. Um, I generally say that surgery will, will hopefully fix some things, but it's going to cause some other issues. Mm -hmm. So if it does cause other issues, just be aware that that is something that might happen. It's not going to be a one-time fix most likely in my mm -hmm. experience. <laughs> um, I think it's really important to go into surgery being really strong. I think it's important if you can to advocate for yourself so that you get some physio or some physical therapy after surgery and ask all the questions that you want. Um, ask, you know, really try to understand what's going to happen. Like where is the fusion going to be? What type of instrumentation? Where is the bone graft going to come from? Is it going to be a separate incision? Will it be done through the same incision? Will there be blood do donations? Will you give those yourself? Will someone else provide? Um, so I think just trying to, and, and, there will likely still be surprises. I think the main thing is advocating for yourself, being strong beforehand, also knowing that whether it's scoliosis or a spinal fusion, it's something that you have for life. And again, you can think of it as a chore or a gift, but I think in many ways it's a gift that I always have to take very good care of myself. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Such great advice, thank you. Um, I could obviously chat to you for hours and hours. <laughs> um, is there is there anything else that, um, any kind of tips or advice that you can give us in, in terms of choosing, choosing exercises and um, yeah, kind of do's and don'ts, um, any kind of little nuggets yeah. that we can take away? Well, I think, you know, listening to your body is really important because, you know, our movement practices will change, um, I believe. You know, my movement practice is certainly different than when I was in my 20s, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So listening to your body so you know when there's times that might need adjustment or modifications. Um being open, you know, to seeing a physio because I've had great experiences with physio. 
um, at this physical therapy, at this point, I prefer to see someone who has extensive experience with scoliosis yeah. and spinal fusion. So I tend to see a Shaw therapist. Um, I'm trying to think if they're, oh, and then stay curious because that curiosity can also, you know, as far as educating yourself, as far as how things feel. Um, so a lot of it is that mindfulness of, you know, what I do today might not be what I do yesterday. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm trying to think if there are other thoughts, but that's probably what I would say for right now. No, I think that's, that's great advice. Thank you very much. Good. Um, Anna Mika is saying, thank you so much for your valuable inputs, Christine and Jen. Good. Lovely. So I know there's still questions coming in, but I think um, we're going to wrap it up, obviously, for today. So um, make sure I, I know I haven't filled in all the, the parts in the description, but I will do you straight after this um, just to make sure that you um, guys can all reach Jen and, and get in contact with her. You teach some online classes as well at the moment. I do. So I teach online both a yoga for people with spinal fusions class. Mm -hmm. And then also I have several Pilates classes and they're generally um, for people with scoliosis. And then the classes for people with spinal fusions are different classes. Right. So, yeah. Excellent. Brilliant. Good. Um, thank you so much for, for your time today, Jen. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Um, bye, everyone. Thank you so much for, for listening and we'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I would be super grateful if, if you could leave me a five star rating and review, which will help me to create lots more amazing content. If you have any questions or suggestions, reach out to me on Instagram at yogaberry.scoliosis or visit my website at www.yogaberry.net